What will it take for us to experience revival in our day? How can a local church prepare itself for revival? What are the characteristics of a true revival? Are you ready to risk pursuing revival? This sermon addresses these important points. Are uh, we going to get ready to make our declaration? So if you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We're going to look at a few verses that we are familiar with. Uh, just to remind ourselves as to why we do this. Romans chapter 10 verses 8 to 10. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, What does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. Where is the word? Under my pillow. (laughs) Or maybe, it's on my phone. (laughs) Where is the word? It's in your heart and in your mouth. Right? So God wants his word to be in two places. Where? In your heart and in your mouth. And then he explains in the next two verses what you do. For with the heart man believes. And with the mouth confession is made. So what do you do with the heart? You believe. What do you do with the mouth? Confess the words. Right? So he says how do we experience salvation? We experience salvation when we believe the word in our heart. And we confess it with our Therefore, everything else from God, not not only the blessing of salvation, but everything else, every promise of God can be received in the same manner. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. Are you with me so far? Right? So that's why we make our declaration to remind ourselves about this truth that's in the word. That God's given us his word to keep it in our hearts, to believe with our heart, and to say with our So what has God said concerning your finances, concerning your health, concerning your family, concerning your children, concerning your future, concerning everything? There is that word of faith that has been brought to us. And God wants us to believe that word with our heart and to say that with our mouth. Now when you believe with your heart, when you and I believe with our heart, it doesn't mean that everything else around us is okay. There will be many things around us that are not okay. But that's why we believe the words. Just believe that word and say with your mouth. And then you become an inheritor. You possess that promise. Let's stand to our feet and let's make our declaration this morning, please. So if you brought your Bible, hold it high up in the air. Let's say this out loud, bold and strong. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe his word and I live by his word. Christ is my master. 
And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Say hi to the person next to you. Shake hands. Say hello. Give them your name. and You may be seated. All right. Over the last several weeks, we've been uh, talking about revival. The visitations of God and, and the moves of the Holy Spirit. This is our fourth Sunday in this series. And I just want to quickly review some of the things we have seen. On the very first Sunday, we talked about revival stories. That we look back uh, at certain revivals that have taken place across the world. Uh, we looked at the Moravian revival. We looked at the, uh, the revival at Mukti Mission. Uh, we looked at several others. And just, uh, we talked, talked about also about the layman's prayer revival in New York and it swept across all of America. We talked about these revivals and saw how God moved and what he had done in those days. In part two of this series, we looked at the book of Acts and we saw the working of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts. How in the first eight years, there was a community that was inundated with the Holy Spirit and what happened to that community. And the next 10 years of how that one community in Jerusalem affected hundreds of small towns, villages all across, uh, all around the Mediterranean and all the way into Europe and all the way into Rome, affecting the capital of the world in those days. And the next 20 years, we saw the journey of one man, the Apostle Paul, a, a, a carrier of revival, how one man went through so many cities and towns and reproduced what was happening uh, in Antioch and in Jerusalem, reproducing that. So we, we went through that study. Last week, we talked about the history of the church, 2,000 years of church history, and how God has taken the church through time. We saw that Reformation paves the way for... You forgot it one week. Reformation paves the way for revival. And revival brings about the restoration of the church. Making the church become what it's really supposed to become. And then as a result of that, missions and church growth comes. Right? So reformation, revival, restoration, missions and church growth. So all these weeks we've just been uh, looking more on, on the background of revival. What has happened in the past. But starting this Sunday and the next two Sundays, we're going to talk about how we can experience revival in our day. Because ultimately that's our objective, that you and I, as the people of God, we want to see revival in our church. We want to see revival in our lives. We want to see revival in our city. We want to see revival impacting our nation. Amen? If it's getting too loud, you can can bring it down. So... This morning, we are going to talk about experiencing revival in our day. And we want to talk more on how we as people and as a church can prepare ourselves for revival. Next Sunday, we'll talk about how do we pray in to revival. And then we will talk about last Sunday, how do we steward our revival and a move of God? How do we take care of it? And how do we see it only cause increase? But today, we're focusing more on how do we prepare ourselves for revival? Let's just begin by reminding ourselves of our two passages of scripture that, that teach us that we are really in a time of the latter rain. We are in a time 
where God is ready to send the latter rain. What is the latter rain? It's the rain of the Holy, it's rain that comes just before the harvest. Now, what did God say in Acts 2 17 and 18? He said, In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. We are familiar with that verse. We've heard it many, many times. God says, In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on everybody. That includes you and the people sitting right next to you. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. God said that. And that's exactly what he's doing. And that in these days, he's pouring out his Holy Spirit. And it's just up to you and me to get under the rain. Get under this outpouring. He's promised to do that. In James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, James brings an understanding to us about the end times. As he's talking about what will happen in the last days, he says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And then he says, you know, the coming of the Lord is kind of paralleled by this uh, agricultural scenario that he draws for us. He says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So he's saying, you know, the coming of the Lord is like this farmer. He receives the early rain, and the the early rain comes to help prepare the ground to receive the seed. The latter rain comes towards the end to help ripen the harvest before it can be gathered in. Are you with me? So he says, the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord is like this. Before the coming of the Lord, there is going to be this gathering in of the harvest. But in order to facilitate that gathering, there's got to be the latter rain. There is got to be the rain of the Holy Spirit. And that's the season we are living in. Amen? We're in the time of a latter rain. When God is getting ready to pour out His Spirit like never before. So that the harvest can be gathered in. And so we are doing the right thing by saying, God, we want revival. We want this latter rain. We want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us because that's so important for us. So let's answer the next question here. And I'm going to just touch on various aspects of revival in preparation for this. What is the need for revival? You know, why should we even press into this? Especially in our day, you know, when you know, we can get a crowd by doing all kinds of things. And we've got all kinds of marketing strategies. We've got tools. We've got technology. Uh, we've got all kinds of methods and uh, how to target different social groups and social segments of, soci- uh, segments of society. Uh, all that's been studied. And, and, and we've got all of that knowledge. So when we have all these tools and methods available to us, what's the big point here in, in trying to press in for revival? Revival seems like hard work. I can just do some nice marketing and get people in. But why do we need revival? I'm not against using tools and technologies and all of that. We use a lot of it. But why do we need to press in for revival? I just want to talk about a few reasons that you and I might be familiar with. We need revival to ignite our passion for God, for His Word and His Spirit. You know, all the tools and methods that are available to us, they can excite, they can excite people they can emotionally stir people up but the fire inside you can only be brought in by the holy spirit amen emotions will die out 
all excited and after two days, you're down in the dumps again. But when you are set on fire by the Holy Spirit, that's a totally different thing. We need that kind of fire. Jesus said this in John 6 and 63. He said, the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit who gives life. So we need that. We need that fire of the Holy Spirit. Second reason why we need to press in for revival is so that we can move from glory to glory and be the kind of people and community that God intends us to be. We said earlier that every revival ushers us into a new realm in God, into a new level in God's. So to move to new revels and new realms in God, we need revival. We need, this to, we need revival to take us into a new realm in God. And as believers, we are supposed to move from faith to faith, from strength to strength, and from glory to glory. So we need that. We need revival to move us into new realms in God and take us higher and deeper in God. We need revival to see the ingathering of the harvest. You know, thank God for the programs that we have. But you know, we can get 10 people, 100 people. But we've seen in the history of revivals that in a move of God, tens of thousands of people are gathered into the church. Think about what we heard in the layman's prayer revival. In one, every week, one week, 50,000 souls were being saved. Now this is not fiction, this is fact. Every week, 50,000 people were being saved. Now you can't do that even through a crusade. But when the Holy Spirit moves, we can gather in the harvest in such a scale. Think about Bangalore City. We've got about 11 million people or 13 million people. At the rate at which we are going without programs, gathering in tens and twenties and maybe a few hundreds now and then, you know, we probably take an eternity. And that's why we need the move of the Holy Spirit to sweep across our city and gather in tens of thousands of people in a short time. We need that. Are you with me so far? Amen? So we need revival. We need God to visit us. And we also need revival to see the church impact the world the way it should, is salt and light and bring about transformation. The church is salt and light in this world. So we are supposed to have social, moral and spiritual impact on the world around us. And thank God for you know, some of the things that we are doing as a church, you know, reaching out into society. But that brings incremental increase, a small increase. In revival, we've seen that entire communities are affected on a large scale. Bringing about that moral, social, and spiritual transformation of communities. Amen? So when we want to see transformation around us in our city, look, let's press into God and say, God, you pour out your spirit on us so that we can have that kind of an impact on the world around us. Amen? You all with me so far? Yes? So... Let's now talk about some of the hindrances to revival. What would keep us from pressing into God for revival? And we need to become aware of this so that we can begin to work on these things and get these things out of our lives. What hinders us from pressing into revival? Ignorance to what God has in store for the church. Sometimes we're just ignorant. We don't know that there is more. So we think church is about, you know, you come to the church, you come on a Sunday morning, sing a few songs, sleep through the sermon, wake up in the end to say hello to everybody and go home. 
But there's more to church than that. God wants his glory to be seen upon his people. And God wants greater glory to be released among his people. That's what the church is about. It's about manifesting God's glory to the world. There is more to church than just having Sunday services. So sometimes ignorance of what is therefore available can keep us from revival. Or a misunderstanding of what revival is all about. Sometimes people think revival means you have three evenings, you have a special revival speaker, and he comes and he does it, that's revival. No, 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 that's, that's, that's nice, but that itself is not revival. Revival is having a people who are saturated with God. Revival is having this move of the Holy Spirit above and beyond what we normally experience. So sometimes we have a misunderstanding of it. Thirdly, Sin and worldliness, a casual approach to the things of God, keep us from revival. James said it like this. He said, you know, in James 4 and 4, some really strong words. He said, you adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He who is a friend of the world is an enemy with God. So what's happening to a lot of the church? A lot of the church wants to play with the world. We want to be as nice to the world. We want to be like it. Hey, the more you're like the world, the more you're distancing yourself from God. Because friendship with the world is enmity with God. So this is a really dangerous stance and it's a dangerous place to be. And, and, and so that sin, that casual approach to the things, uh, to to. To sin and all those things actually rob us from a mighty visitation of God. Complacency. Uh, and this just not really desiring for more. Robs us as an hindrance to revival. In the kingdom of God, the people who are hungry and thirsty are the ones who are blessed. Amen? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and Thirst. They're the ones who are going to be filled. So hunger, thirst for God is, a, is, is something we need. We just need to be desperate saying, God, I want more of you. You've got to be hungry. And so that lack of hunger, that, that complacency, a satisfaction with the way things are, actually robs us as a hindrance. It robs us from experiencing more of God. In John 7... 36 to 39, Jesus stood up and he said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If you are thirsty, come and drink. Then he said, here's what will happen. He continued, he who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. See, if you are thirsty, you go to Jesus, you drink. What happens? Rivers start flowing out of you. And he says, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. But it all begins with us being thirsty. Saying, God, I thank you for what I've experienced, but I just want more of you. I'm thirsty for more. So we cannot afford to be complacent. Or lethargy. You know, the moment pastor begins his sermon, you take off into dreamland. 
That's lethargy. There is no sense of awe for the word. I, I want God. I want him. And, 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 and so we become so lethargic concerning spiritual things. And that robs us from the things of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 11 verse 12 he said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. Got to be violent in the spirit. There's got to be that aggressiveness in your spirit saying, God, I want this. I'm going to come after this. I refuse to be spiritually lethargic, spiritually lazy. I'm going to go after this and pursue God for it. Or it could be indifference. No passion for the loss. No desire to see communities affected. Oh, things go on. They get cold. Nothing stirs us. It's like the Laodicean church that Jesus rebuked in, in Revelation 3, 16 and 17. He says, you guys, you're neither hot nor cold. I like my coffee hot or I like it cold. Lukewarm. Indifference. Nothing stirs us. Nothing affects us. And he says, you, you can't afford to be that. If you're lukewarm, you've got to spew out. You've got to be hot or you've got to be cold. And why was this church lukewarm? Because they had this sense that, you know, I've got everything. I've become rich. I have need of nothing. So now they've, they've become lukewarm and nothing affects them. They're, they feel they're okay. That's a dangerous place to be. Can't afford to be lukewarm. And then, of course, there are other things that hinder us. The resistance to change. We don't want change. Because revival can upset our programs. You know, instead of the service being two hours, that's pretty long in itself. When God is moving, sometimes it gets four hours. So, man, that's a long service. i got to find a new church in a hurry. You know? So revival can upset things. So in your living room, you're about to sit down and have, have your dinner. Or not in dinner. In your dining room, you're about to sit down and have dinner. And the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you can't eat. And the next time you, wait, you, know, you come to your senses, it's two hours later. You're Dinner plans are upset. So anything can happen when God's moving. So revival means that we must be willing to go wherever, the, the, whichever way God wants us to go. And so that sometimes our resistance to change, change hinders us. Or sometimes we're just too busy. We have no time to pursue God. And sometimes it's the good things that keep us busy. There's nothing wrong in making biryani like Martha was making for Jesus. Doing a good thing. I'm going to prepare food for the Lord. What was wrong? It was wrong at that time because there was something more important that needed to be done. There was this opportune moment. The Lord was in the house. And he preferred time with you than the food you gave him. And Martha didn't understand that. So sometimes we get busy doing the good things. Instead of pursuing the better things. Time with God. And so the Lord had to rebuke Martha. And say, Martha, you're so busy. Just come sit with me. I just want to talk to you. Forget about the food. We can all do that later. Just come talk. So busyness, even doing the good things. Our divisiveness and strife, they hinder us from moving into revival. Because the anointing of God, Psalm 133 tells us, the anointing of God flows when brethren dwell together in unity. Are you with me so far? 
You're not tired? Your neighbor needs to be revived? Just wake him up. <laughs> I want to touch on two more areas before we close this morning. I want to talk about characteristics of a genuine revival. Now, how can you and I know that this is a genuine work of God? It's not just something people are making up or, you know, emotions that are being stirred. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uh, talked about uh, this very important thing. He said, you will know them by their fruits. In Matthew 7, 16 to 20, he said, by their fruit, verse, verse 20, by their fruits, you will know them. How will you know that, there is, that a revival is a genuine work, that something that's happening is a true revival, is a genuine revival? You've got to look for the fruits, not the phenomena. You're with me? It's not about all the things that happen, that the excitement and the shouting and the screaming and the falling. Listen, you've got to look past that and you say, what is the fruit? That is what is going to tell us if that is a genuine move of the Holy Spirit or just a lot of hype and excitement that's happening. So what fruits do we look for? Here are some things you and I should be looking for to examine if this is a genuine visitation of God. First of all, it's got to be something that cannot be manufactured or explained. If it is something that could be done through some good techniques or through our own human efforts, then it's questionable. But if it is something that says, you know, man, this cannot be human being, human effort. It's got to be the, it's got to be the work of God. That's a true indicator that it's a genuine revival. For example, think of the Azusa Street Revival. We talked about in, 19, in 1906. William Seymour, one-eyed preacher. He was not a great preacher. He'd been locked out of his church after his first sermon. And here they are in a, in a run-down barn where they're having those meetings. But in three years, 50 nations are affected by what is happening in the corner of that street. In six years, more than 3,000 cities all, and towns all across America are affected. Remember, those were days when there was no email, no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram. Nothing. This had to be the work of God. Amen? So when you see things like this, when you see results, when you see impact like this, you say, well, this is definitely not the work of man. It's something supernatural. It's beyond a human ability to organize something like this. The second thing that you look for in examining if something is a true, genuine work of God is that the focus should be on exalting Jesus, not an individual. In every genuine revival, Jesus Christ is exalted. Jesus Christ is the focus, not some man. Even though there will be revivalists that God is using, the focus will always be on exalting Jesus Christ. Number three that you look for in, in, in evaluating a revival is a proclamation of the gospel, of the cross, repentance, and holy living. These are key things that take place in a revival where you're, you're, you're focused on, on these non-negotiables of the Bible. Uh, another important thing about revival is, is the unity of the spirit in the heart of leadership. That leaders are looking not to create some sort of an isolationist group 
or an exclusive group, but they're looking at the unity of the body of Christ coming together of the saints. And that's the heartbeat of every genuine move of God. And that's why in revivals you find people from all denominations being affected and coming together and not being separated, even though not everybody understands what is happening. Bringing people into intimacy with God and wholeness is important fruit that we should be looking for. In the Toronto blessing, in the Toronto revival of 1994, there was a lot of criticism because all kinds of phenomena were happening. People were laughing, falling on the floor and all these strange phenomena. But even its worst critics were soon acknowledged. And it's been 20 years, beyond more than 20 years since that Toronto revival of 1994. Even its worst critics acknowledged that Thousands upon thousands of people came into that presence and received inner healing and wholeness. That broken people who were emotionally shattered and and wounded because of what life had dealt to them, but they would come into that place and experience the Father's blessing, which was really a revelation of the Father's love. They received healing. And they didn't go through any counseling. It was just the presence of God that brought the healing. That is fruit. That is lasting fruit. Thousands upon thousands of people. You look for that. How lives have been changed. And lastly, you also look for the lasting fruit in the lives of, in the, in the transformation of lives and, and, and their ministries. In the same Toronto revival that that received a lot of negative press of 1994. Many, many lives were tremendously impacted. And here are some stories. Many of us know of Nikki Gumbel who, who provides leadership to the Alpha program worldwide. But not many know how Nikki Gumbel's life was impacted because of the Toronto revival. In 1992, the Alpha program had 100 rusty church-going people attending it. Meaning, just 100 people or like elderly people. 1992, just 100 people attending an Alpha program. Nicky Gumbel's life was so impacted by the Toronto Revival, when he went back and took on leadership of this Alpha program, here's the result. By 1994... They had 26,700 uh, 26, attendees. And by the, 2000, by, year, by the year 2000, there were 14,200 courses running around the world with 1.5 million people attending the Alpha course. And there's a whole lot more today. And Nicky Gumbel says, his life was changed in the Toronto revival. Is that fruit? That is. Think about Heidi Baker. Heidi and Roland Baker were, were missionaries. They were missionaries for many years in different parts of the world. And uh, then finally they went to Mozambique where they were serving. And I think, I, I, I may get my numbers wrong here, but maybe five to eight years they've been serving in Mozambique. And at the end of that period, they only had, uh, I mean, they, they were tired. They were burnt out. They, they were taking care of 300 children in their home. They had one or two small churches in Mozambique. Heidi was tired. She went to Toronto. 
Her life was so powerfully impacted by the Spirit of God. About a year or so later, they went through some challenges, but when she and her husband went back, things changed dramatically. They began to see blind eyes open, deaf ears hear, dead people being raised, entire villages being changed by one miracle. And uh, in a period of about five years, and now it's been as a lo- uh, many years since that time, but here's what's happened now. Through their ministry today, over 10,000 children are being fed every day. Their network includes more than 10,000 churches. And they have, they run five Bible schools, prime, three primary schools and schools of missions, several places. Here was a burnt out missionary ready to give up. And her life was so transformed by the move of the Holy Spirit in that revival Today you see the fruit. Are you with me? So this is what happens. When there is revival. And and people's lives are impacted powerfully. Things happen that that is unimaginable. What if we experience revival. And each of us. Our our lives are so affected. That the things we've been struggling with. And and trying so hard to do. the, The breath of God blows through it. And things change. What would normally take 10 years to happen, happens in such a short time. Because of the move of the Holy Spirit through our lives and ministries. Amen? That's what revival does. So, how do we prepare? Can we have a visitation of God and how, what does it take? Revival is a pure work of God, but you and I can prepare and press into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible says that we are fellow workers with God. If we are co-workers with God, it means God does some of the work and you and I do some of the work. Right? We can't just sit down and say, well, God, you do it all. Just wake me up when you're doing it. No. God does his part, but you and I do our part. We are co-workers with God. Now, there is no set formula for revival. There is no like, you know, you do these four things and revival will happen. There is no formula. When you look at the history of the church, you find that God's done all kinds of different things. There is no set time in which God moves. There have been times when things have been spiritually dry. There have been times when things have been spiritually good and God moved. There is no set time on how much to pray, how long to pray. Sometimes people have prayed three months and revival broke out. The two 80-year-old ladies in the Hebrides revival, they prayed for three months. One of them was blind, one of them was, had a body ridden with arthritis. And they, they got together, they prayed for three months and revival broke out. But they are in the second great awakening, they prayed for six to four years. Then revival broke out. So there is no set formula, you pray so many days and you'll get revival. There is no set formula in the place God chooses. God's moved in big cities, he's moved in small, small towns. In homes, in living rooms. There is no said person that God uses. God uses all kinds of people. He used great theologians. People who are great orators. But he also used insignificant people. In the Shillong revival of 2006, God used an 8 year old girl named Unity. And she was prophesying. So imagine all the Presbyterian pastors listening to an 8 year old girl. Tell us what God is saying. God moved that way. In the Hebrides revival, God used four 20-year-old girls 
as preachers. And through their preaching, all the bars across that island were shut down. Just four 20-year-old girls preaching. So God uses all kinds of people. There is no set formula. And, uh, and the spark that ignites the revival, it could be anything. Sometimes it's a sermon. Sometimes it's one person praying. Sometimes it's, you know, it's a call to prayer. Different things just ignite, the, uh, give, give rise to the blaze. And the manifestations in the outpouring are also very different. So while there, are no, while there is no set formula, there are two key preparation areas for you and I as a church. The first is we must prepare as people, we must prepare ourselves. And secondly, we must pursue in prayer. Are you with me so far? So in order to receive revival, number one, as people, we must be prepared. Second, we must press into prayer. So let me talk a little bit about the first part. How should we prepare ourselves as a people? First and most important thing is this. We need to put away sin and worldliness and childishness and strife and competition and desire for recognition and position. We must be a people where our heart is devoid of any kind of recognition. It doesn't matter whether my name is mentioned or here or there. Get rid of all of that. Because what we see in the history of revivals is that when people whom God was using, when people got into strife, the revival stopped. Now listen to this very carefully. In the 1906 Azusa Street Revival, the revival that impacted the world, the revival that gave birth to the Pentecostal movement, that that, that went to the nations, three years into the revival, strife started creeping into that local church. William Seymour was a pastor and by now they had organized themselves into a little church. Strife started creeping into the church. Now what were they fighting about? Listen to this. They were fighting about whether you should wear neckties or not. Serious. Because some people thought if you wear a necktie, it's a sign of worldliness. Another thing they fought about was should there be a, a, a storm room on the basement of the church or not? Because if you believe God would protect you, don't build a storm room. So their argument was, is that a sign of faith or is it a sign of a lack of faith if you built a storm room? Then they were fighting about doctrinal issues. Is sanctification an instantaneous thing or is it a process? Some people said it's instantaneous, it just happens. Some people say no, it's a process. So they started fighting about it. And then you had some great other preachers who would come They would spend a week or two in the revival and they would say, man, I can preach better than William Seymour. And so they would go out and start their own churches all around Los Angeles. Competition. This was what happened three years into the revival. It's not made up. This is a true story. And very interesting, the secretary of the church, her name was Florence Crawford. She just got upset with the whole thing. She took the whole mailing list and disappeared. I mean, I know our administrator would not do that. <laughs> but that's what happens. So petty. So three years into the revival, this great revival that was affecting the world. And all these little, little things happened, started happening. People started fighting. The revival started waning. 
Shortly thereafter, everything ceased. And for the rest of his life, William Seymour pastored a small church of less than 100 people in that same place. This man, who at one point had people coming in from all the nations of the world to receive the, what the work of God, what God was doing in that place, spent the rest of his life pastoring a small congregation. Why? Strife. The Brownsville revival that took place in Pensacola, Florida, 1995, powerful. They had one million people coming through in one year, 1995, great move of God. Five years into the revival, around 2000, the three top leaders, Pastor John Kilpatrick was a pastor of the church, Stephen Hill, the evangelist, and Michael Brown was heading up the Bible college. Got into strife. Couldn't get along. Something, things were going wrong. But from that time, everything went downhill. The congregation was so hurt because now the three leaders split. Today that church owes more than a million dollars and is more than a million dollars in debt. Bad. All because of strife. So the first thing you and I as people, what we need to do to prepare for revival is that we need to come to a place where we say, God, I don't want any position, no recognition. I want to make sure I do not get into strife with anybody. Are you with me so far? You got to get people ready. Otherwise, when revival comes and we get into all these things, it's going to cause the revival to stop. It's going to disrupt what God's going to do. Second important thing, we must be kingdom minded. Think about the kingdom of God, not about man. Not about exalting a man, a name, a denomination. No, it's always about King Jesus and about his kingdom. We must focus, number three, on, on the presence of God, not on our programs. Go with the presence of God. And to some extent, I understand that we as a people are kind of like that. I know on many occasions, when, especially in our church camps, you know, we have 30 minutes of worship and that 30 minutes of worship has gone on for three hours. How many of you have been there in those search camps? Right? That, that just went through. We stopped everything else. We just went for the presence of God. And the presence of God is more important than our programs. And we've done that on several times. But, but that's the kind of people we're supposed to be. Just pursue the presence of God. And we've got to equip people to disciple new believers. That means each one of us must be ready to take care of new people. Because in revival, we're going to see thousands of people come into the church. And you and I have to take care of them. Are you with me so far? That was a problem with the Shillong revival in 2006. There was a mighty, for four years the church prayed, the Presbyterian church prayed. And sure enough in 2006 they began to experience a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. Unusual things began to happen. There were angelic visitations. Uh, sinners started coming into the church, giving up uh, you know, all, all their addictions. People were being set free. They were coming into the church. Uh, the move of God was affecting the schools around. Schools were being shut down. Uh, people were just flocking into the church. There was a mighty move. But nobody knew what to do with it. They prayed for revival, but when revival came, they didn't know what to do. Nobody to lead it. Lead it. Nobody to handle all the incoming people, the lives that were being changed. Nobody knew. People were not discipled and equipped to disciple new people. And so everything just waned to the course of the year. And some of the people who were even touched in the revival went back. 
Nobody to disciple them. They didn't know what to do. So we as a church must be equipped and ready to consolidate what God brings into us. Must be ready to make changes and accommodate the move of God. And as a leadership, we must be ready to go with anything God wants. And secondly, we must pursue in prayer. I want to encourage all of us, look, we must pray. Personally, press into prayer. I want to invite you to come at 10 o'clock. 10 to 10.30 is our prayer time. You come there. It's 30 minutes early, but you come and say, God, I want to be with the rest of the church as we pray for revival. You get together in prayer groups in your home, wherever you can, in your school, in your college, begin to pray. Say, God, we want more of you. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place. Fill my life. Fill my home. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about how to pray for revival. So we want everybody engaging in praying for revival. Because we must pursue God, press in to prayer. I want to close with just a thought on the risk of revival. We go to the last slide. I'm going to skip some things here. Revival is risky because a lot of things can happen. People could think you're wrong and they can just decide not to come to church. People can think, man, this church is crazy. They're talking about revival. All kinds of things can happen. You could be misunderstood. Revival is risky because it's possible people can get tired. You pray for six months, then you say, Pastor, you told you preached the whole series of revival for six Sundays. We prayed six months, nothing's happened. Or one year, or two years. Because we don't know when the mighty move of God would come, but we by faith are praying into it. So it's possible people get discouraged and they give up. Our revival is risky because some, when it does come, it will disrupt everything we're doing. And God says, just go with my presence, follow my cloud, follow the fire. Just go with it. And it could disrupt everything else. But the challenge for you and me is this. Are we ready to give everything to see revival come? Are we ready to be fully sold out to this? To go... Where we've never gone before, we've got to do what we've never done before. Amen? We've got to be willing to pray and seek God for this. Are you ready? To press in for revival? To press in for more of the Holy Spirit saying, God, just come, fill our lives. Because we know that in your presence, anything can happen. Unusual things can happen. Great things can happen. Let's stand to our feet, please. I call our worship team up. This morning, we just want to pray and say, God, I want more of you. I'm willing, God, just to press in to this. I'm willing to prepare my heart, to prepare my life for this. I'm willing to pursue you. I want more of you, God. As we stand here this next few moments, Could we just pray and say, God, I want more of you. Prepare my heart, God. Just stir me up. If for some reason you feel you've become complacent or maybe lethargy has set in or maybe just become indifferent to this, you pray and say, God, get that off me. Stir me up, God. Set me on fire, God. That I might be somebody who will pray and press in to see a mighty move of your Holy Spirit.
Could we just pray right now? Just everybody praying. Father, we just pray that you will ignite every heart and every life here this morning, God. Father, set every person in this place on fire. God, let the fire of God touch every heart, every life in this place. Stir it up in our hearts, oh God, we pray. Oh God, strip us off our complacency. Strip us off our indifference. Strip us off, Lord, our lethargy. And God, ignite in our hearts a passion for more of you. Make us hungry. Make us thirsty. Desperate for more of God in our lives. For more of the presence of God. Stir us up, God, we pray. Would you cry out this morning? Even as the worship team leads us here for the next few moments, just cry out. Say, God, stir me up. Ignite this fire in my heart. Lord, light the fire again. Lord, light the fire again. God, ignite our hearts. Set our hearts on fire, God. Jesus, we are thirsty for more. 
in every life, God, in this place this morning. That we'll go from this 
place with a fire burning in our hearts. There be the restlessness in our soul. Desiring to seek you, desiring to press into you, desiring for more of your word, oh God. That we will stir ourselves up to take a hold of you, God. Lord, ignite the kind of a fire. Oh God, let the fire of God fall upon our homes, our families. That in our living rooms we will be so touched by the power of the Holy Spirit that we will begin to pray and seek God. That in the morning and in the night, Lord, that we will begin to pray and seek the Lord. God, stir people up, seek you like never before. Father, we pray that you will do this by your Holy Spirit. Ignite a fire in every heart. Ignite a fire in every life of God. Let there be that stirring up in our hearts. Just to long for you, for more of you. Create that desperation, God. Create that hunger, God. Create that thirst in our in each and every heart. For more of you. Come, Holy Spirit. Cause that stirring to take place. We thank you. Thank you. Before we close this morning, I just want to give an invitation. Anybody here? Have you never given your heart to Jesus? You've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But this morning you're here, you you want Jesus to touch you, you want Jesus to change your life. You're here this morning. You're in the right place. I want to lead you in a short prayer to help you ask Jesus to touch you to change you to forgive your sin to make you his child and when you pray that prayer with me I believe that what you're looking for what you're longing for the Lord will do for you let's just close our eyes bow our heads for a moment please if there's anybody here you want Jesus to touch your life forgive your sins change you just pray this prayer with me Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Make me your child. Make me a new person. And help me follow you the rest of my life. I give my life to you, Jesus. Today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the fire that's been lit in every heart. For what you've started here, God, we just pray you'll increase it more and more. And make us a people, God, who will press into revival and see revival happen in our city and all across our nation. We thank you, Father. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think or imagine. Unto him and him alone be glory in the church through Jesus Christ. Always. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a great afternoon, great Sunday. See you again. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. 
We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.